How's it going, everyone? Welcome to Episode 7 of the Duke Nation Podcast for the 2022-23 season. As always, I'm your host, Dan Labriola, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Porras. Nick, how's it going? Good. Going, going good. Glad to be back. Yeah, absolutely. And we have another jam-packed episode for everyone, so we're going to be recapping Duke's last three games where... They won all three against Syracuse, Louisville, and Virginia Tech. And then we'll get you ready for the final two games of the regular season as Duke faces off against NC State and then UNC at Chapel Hill. But before we get into that, we can jump into things here and start off with just a little bit of banter between Nick and myself where we'll talk about this current Duke team where they stand, and the direction that the, t- that the team is heading toward as the season comes to a close. So, Nick, what are your thoughts on this team and where they stand here on February 27th, sitting with a record of 21-8? and eight? I think they've, they've made a lot of, of, a lot of leaps. I think they've grown a lot. I mean, granted, the opponents have to be a consideration, but really, I mean... Uh, since the Virginia game, there's been a drastic change in the way they play. I mean, I guess I say that, but they had a lot of turnovers in that game. But nonetheless, four wins in a row. Uh, I think the longest win streak, if I'm not mistaken, is, is it five? So they're trying to is, – is it, is it four or five? We, just, we talked about this last time. Yeah. I think it's so four. Think okay, so I think they've matched it. So a win tomorrow would, would give them the longest win streak of the season. So heading in the right direction. Um, and no doubt about it, I mean, they have – again, they're going to have as much, if not more, talent than – Pretty much every team they play, it's a matter of putting it all together. So ACC is down, obviously, but I think they had you know three dominant wins. You know, again, obviously Syracuse is not very good. Louisville is not very good. Vatex, you know, okay, and yeah. then it's a Vatex team that that beat them though early in the year. So I think they've made a lot of improvements. Um, they really shot the ball you know better as well. Mm. Um, you know, and maybe we have the data on this. We'll, maybe we'll get into it. But I feel like I just give me a feel like Tyrese Proctor since mm. he hit his absolute low point of what he was shooting it was like 26% from three at one point this year. He's got to be shooting close to 40% since, since I'm going to say early January. Oh, I'll get into I it. Mean, Don't worry. Yeah. I mean, I think he's gotten drastically better. So, um, there's been a lot of improvement. Um, I think in general, I mean, you even see, you know, Mark's been really good recently. Yeah. You know, Lively's been more active. So, um, it's encouraging. I mean, I think they're definitely going in the right direction, and I definitely feel better about it than I did a few weeks ago, um, or even, quite frankly, the last time we met. You know, I think the last time we met, they were coming off a pretty underwhelming game against Notre Dame, and you know, a few losses before that. So I think, I think they're going in the right direction at the right time. Yeah, I agree, and I think that going uh, or as we left off on the last podcast, that we had kind of agreed. I think you had said that you that we hope that. This final five game stretch, they would go four and one, and sort of agreed that at the very least they needed to go three and two, and we brought up like worst case scenarios and and all that stuff. But since that time, in this five game stretch, they've won those three games. They've won the three games that we said they absolutely have to win. They, in, in giving full credit to them, they have won all the games that they needed to win. They defeated Syracuse, they defeated Louisville, and then they defeated Virginia Tech. I was worried about the Virginia Tech game because we saw what happened in Blacksburg, but to Duke's credit, uh, they just look like a completely different team. And especially when you look at this team in comparison to the beginning of the season, uh, they seem to have more cohesiveness. They seem to have gelled with one another a little bit more. They look like they've been playing with each other for a couple of months now. And I think that's sort of like the ultimate compliment to them is to say, and as we know, this is a team that does not have someone who will just take over a game consistently. We've brought that up numerous, numerous times on this podcast, but uh, they need contributions from everybody, and they're getting them currently, which is just phenomenal. I, I think they're understanding who they are as a team, and they're playing more towards their strengths than anything else. And included in that, I think, is what you are saying, just some positive regression back to the mean offensively, especially when it comes to 
where they started the season where it seemed like no perimeter shots were falling at all. So in this last four-game winning streak, they're shooting 50% from the field, 40% from three, 80% from the line as a team. And I understand we can get into who they were playing and all that, but at times this season, it didn't even matter who this team was playing. They were not going to shoot like that. That's just not, especially not 40% from three, but they seem to have something's clicked. And I think that something was when John Shire sort of handed over the keys uh, to, as you were saying to Tyrese Proctor and said, strictly you're going to you're going to be the point guard you're going to set everything up and we're going to have Jeremy Roach play off the ball where I think he's just so much better I think Jeremy Roach is so much better off the ball than he is um in a point guard in a strictly point guard position for him but to get into a little bit more about uh a couple of uh, as I said everybody contributing uh just to put some numbers to it Tyrese Proctor in this four, and this is all for everybody in this four-game winning streak. Tyrese Proctor is averaging nine points, four uh, four assists, three rebounds. I believe it could be three rebounds, four assists. I'm not sure. Um, on forty-two percent from the field and forty-four percent from three. That's really good. <laughs> That's really good. And and a hundred percent from the line. He's he's great. He's just he has been great. And then you add in that. Flip is averaging 15 and 7 on 54% from the field. Roach, 15 points, 5 assists on 50% from the field. Now, neither of them are shooting the three necessarily well, but when you have um, just a couple of threes falling for them, plus Proctor, plus Derek Whitehead averaging 8 points off the bench, which doesn't seem like a lot, but when he's scoring that off the bench, it makes a huge difference. And he's doing it on 50% from three, which is just unbelievable in this stretch. And you sort of put all that together and you see the team that we had hoped that they would be, where we knew that no one was going to put up 30 or 35 in a game and put the entire team on their back and win them a game. But instead, everyone's contributing and it's exactly what this team needs uh, in order to be successful. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think too, is if you remember the last pod, I was kind of like, I was kind of like, it was Roach had played absolutely awful. Yes. This is entertaining. He was horrible against Miami. He played well to start the Virginia game, but really tailed off after the beginning of the game. He, mm-hmm. he played well in general, but again, turnovers, you know. But he's been fantastic, too, down the stretch, um, you know, over the past three games since. Um, you know, his shooting's been great. Scoring, and I think you you kind of hit it nail on the head. He's so much better off the ball when he's not. You know, it's just, it's so clear that Duke's best offense is with Proctor running the point guard. Yeah, he he has to at this point, and uh, we'll get into this as we review the games that they've already played. But um, just to sort of get to it now a little bit is you can see just how important he is because the bench has has shrunk. Uh, it it has gone down to. Three players coming off the bench, and that is really it until garbage time. Uh, Jalen Blakes isn't really playing anymore, and that sort of started in this three-game stretch. Um, In this four-game stretch, I should say, but during the three-game stretch that we're going to be going over. But you can see that now they're saying, okay, Tyrese, you need to play a lot of minutes, and when you need a bit of a break, we're going to go to Jeremy at the point guard, but you can see that the offense isn't the same and that Jeremy attacking when he gets when he's off the ball he just i don't know what it is and i don't necessarily know how to describe it which isn't great for a podcast medium but he is much more aggressive when he gets the ball he has really elite quickness i don't know if he has elite speed but his burst when he is off the ball is unbelievable and his first step is unbelievable yeah it's unbelievable and he i think and i honestly his mid-range is money every time it's it's impressive 
it, it's very impressive, and I think that he has realized it too, that he has better feel for that shot, or someone told him that he has better feel for that shot because he's taking it more, and he's not taking as many threes, and it's resulted in in success in successes for this Duke team. But with with all that being said, uh, we just wanted actually we can continue on and talk about where Duke stands currently. Uh, Nick, if you want to talk to us about where they stand when it comes to the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament, uh, please go ahead because I think this is a good way to sort of put a cap on talking about where this team currently stands. Yeah, I think so. If they win tomorrow against NC State, they're locked into, at worst, the the five seed in the ACC tournament, mm-hmm. which, if you remember correctly, they, we want them to be a top four seed so they can get a double buy. So right. I think the season ended today, they'd be the five. They would play Virginia Tech again in a rematch, which, quite honestly, is not a favorable matchup in the regards of Vod Tech is so much clearly better than the teams around them, such as Syracuse, Boston College, mm-hmm. Florida State, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, Louisville. It's not even funny. So really, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be a great... Um, you know, draw to start. Um, but obviously, a few games left. So, but they're going to need help. They're going to need, I believe, if Pitt, so if Pittsburgh loses to Notre Dame, at Notre Dame, which let's be honest, not a good chance of that. It is Mike Bray's last time game, though, so who knows. Mm. If Duke can get a Pitt loss and Duke can win, then if Duke wins at UNC, they will lock up a top four seed, I believe, due to, because I think the. If a teams have split a, a, a series, you know, obviously in this case Duke would split with Miami. They beat Pitt outright. Um, it comes down to your net rankings, mm-hmm. I believe. So in that case, Pitt and Miami actually play on Saturday. So one of them will be guaranteed to lose in both at 14 and 5. And Duke's actually the highest ranked net team in the ACC. So right. assuming that was able to hold and they were able to win and take care of business, then they'd be able to get the top four seed. So um, still a lot, of, a lot of unknown and a lot of work um, to be done. Um, but from the NCAA tournament standpoint, they're looking at about season end today. I think it's a pretty common to be a seven seed. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I think Leonard. Some people have him as a six, and I think they can still play their way up. I think they can get as high as a five. I think if they yeah. win the ACC tournament, they can get to a five. I don't think a four is quite attainable. And no. quite honestly, over the past years, if you if you remember correctly, a lot of times the committee already has the bracket made by like Saturday, and any contingencies they have in regards to like. Um, you know, bid thieves and things like that are accounted for in their brackets. So there's been plenty of years in the past where a team's gone on a run in, the, in their conference tournament and not really, you know, gone up at all in the uh, right uh, uh, you know, seating, you know, standing. So I think a five is the highest I can get, um, which quite honestly seems kind of like a miracle. I think you know, we, even when we talked, you know, uh, last podcast, we were thinking you know about an eight or a nine. But I think yeah. again, one of the things that, that has to be really talked about a lot too is these teams that are in that pecking order between seven, eight, nine, ten, etc., like those teams lose a lot. Like, like that, yeah. that, like some of the teams that are even 11, 12, like they're on the bubble for reasons because they don't win very much. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I know we all want to win every game, but I think in general, I think I, I, a seven feels pretty good unless they were to like lose out or something. Yeah, I think if they, you know, at least win one of these next two, and then they at least could make the semifinals of the AC tournament, I think they're pretty comfortably a seven. Um, but again, I think anywhere from nine to five is like is about the range that they're going to be in. So, um, you know, we'll see. Obviously, uh, how everything plays out. Uh, NC State's a big opportunity, and then at UNC, I believe, will be a quad one. So, um, still work to be done. So, obviously, um, you know, let's see what happens. But I think them being the highest in the net, you know, speaks volumes to how much better they are playing. Absolutely, I completely agree. And to go off what you're saying, and not to be that guy who always is trying to be, you know, oh, look where this team was and look where they are now, but we had some genuine concerns about either one, where this team was going to become Selection Sunday when it comes to what's their seed going to be. Like, I think there was some worry about them being a double digit seed. At least, yes. Absolutely. And the fact is now that they have played so unbelievably well in their last, what, eight or so games? I think they're like six and two in their last eight games. Or in in and around there. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Where they've, they've put themselves in a position to, one, safely be in the field, 
which is a bit of um, a monkey off everyone's back. And especially, I'm sure, the coaching staff and John Shire and, and the players as well. And and I know I can speak for the fans and say that, um, that that's the case as well. But also, that Duke, like you said, has, the, has a chance to sort of solidify being around that seven seed, but work their way up to, I'd say realistically, like a six. Like they, for... I remember initially Lenardi had them as a six after they beat Louisville, which I thought was one a little a little perplexing, but I thought it was definitely interesting. And I think he currently has them as a seven seed in uh, Houston's side of the bracket. So um, yeah, you can one of the yeah. not to cut you, one of the things too. What I like to look at like is if you, if you go to bracketmatrix.com, they mm-hmm. filter out like every single. Um, company and you know uh, who, everyone that does brackets, they filter them out yeah. and give you the current seed um, for that particular team. So I mean, Duke is looking anywhere from a seven, six, eight type thing. I mean, I think the predominant, the majority of them had them as a seven with some sixes out there. So um, you know, I think that cluster of teams around there, quite honestly, are all pretty dangerous when you really think about it. I mean, the TCU's, the Creighton's. I mean, even UK looks better. Michigan State can you know make a lot of shots. So, I think quite honestly, the drop up between a set. I mean, if there's any year to be a seven or six and not it not be the end of the world, it'd probably be this year. Right. You really look at at you know teams that are in the three. I mean, like Kansas, Kansas State, and Tennessee are, are you know, current three seeds. Again, these are good teams, but you know, by far nothing like like some three seeds in years past, or even even the two seeds aren't looking like years past. I, I think they've definitely looked vulnerable. So. There's ever a year to be a higher seed and not be as big of a concern. It'd probably be this year. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that uh, everyone has said this and said it multiple times that this is not uh, the best field that there's been going into the NCAA tournament. It's yeah, yeah, it's in quite a while. There hasn't been any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I think this is one of the. I gotta be honest. This is probably one, I, that I can remember. This is probably one of the worst. You know, I, I can see. I mean, the bubble teams are absolutely atrocious. The fact that some of these yeah. teams are even on the bubble is kind of mind-boggling to me. But yeah, I don't, not to cut you off, but I think this is probably the worst field that we've seen in in memory. Right now, why why do you think that is? I personally just think between continuity, I feel like it's less than it's ever been anymore now between mm-hmm. transfers and obviously the COVID stuff. So there's a lot of teams that have had guys transfer out because other guys have come back or even have transferred because they have an extra year. Right. I just think from a continuity you got to remember too, from, from recruiting classes, I mean, Duke had three of the top four or five recruits and, you know, look at where they rank. I think in general, I mean, who are the best freshmen in the country? Even? You know, obviously, you know, Flip's been awesome, you know, all year pretty much. Brandon Miller, obviously, you know, controversy aside, I think undeniably he's probably been the best freshman, you know, on the court. Um, you know, in general, but I mean, besides that, I mean, who are the guys that are really? Uh, it's hard to really think of anybody that's been, that's been. That, that I think so from, from the standpoint of not a lot of great freshmen. I mean, Grady Dick's been good, um, right? But from, from from freshman standpoint, there's no clear cut awesome freshman like guys. But in years past, and again, a lot of these teams just have a lot of transfers. You know, a lot of these teams don't have. You know, they have new rosters. Um, I think in general, it's just because of. I really, and I hate, to, I hate to keep blaming things on this, but I really think COVID has played such a big factor in college yeah. basketball. Uh, and really, this year, I think it's going to be the same thing. I mean, within recruiting as well, just from a development standpoint. I mean, they're talking, I believe it was 2023, the next year's class, 2024, are being marketed as probably the two worst recruiting classes from a talent perspective yeah. that, we've, that we've ever seen. This is that anybody started in the early 2000s, ever. Not just like in five or ten Ever. Like, the worst ever. So I think that has to be a factor. But, I mean, again, there's still good teams. I mean, there's just no one that, that's great. I mean, in, in, a, in a, it's a down year. I think a lot of these – I mean, you got to think Houston and Alabama, where do they rank in a, you know, in a field like last year or even the, or in the year before? You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Are they, are, they, are they even top five? You know, probably yeah. the heels there, but, you know, five or six. But it's just a lot different than, than years past. Yeah, and I think to your point as well, there was a – really good article written in The Athletic by Dana O'Neill entitled, quote, 
I don't think we'll recruit as many freshmen, close quote. Duke recruiting is changing. And in that story, Dana O'Neill was talking with John Shire, and that is a quote from John Shire saying that he doesn't think they'll be recruiting as many freshmen. And I think to your point, part of what he's saying is when it comes time for March, when it comes time for the NCAA tournament, the older teams, the teams that have played together more, that are more cohesive, are the ones that have generally had more success. And when you look back at previous champions, and I think that's something that we've discussed as well, even going back to Duke's championship team in 2015, even though they were led by freshmen, they still had Emile Jefferson, Marshall Plumley, Quinn Cook, Matt Jones. They had players who knew what it took to be a Duke basketball player and to play in the NCAA tournament. And then you can add in Villanova, Kansas, all the teams, Baylor, uh, all those teams that have either been there or won recently. Even you can look at last year's UNC team. Uh, when you look at the difference between current teams and this year's teams where you're lacking that continuity and those teams who probably had that continuity more than any other team definitely this year, but even in some other years. And I think that article, um, it, it goes into a lot more depth and I highly recommend that everybody, if, if you can, to give that a read because John and, and Dana go into more details about what exactly he means by he's not going to recruit as many freshmen. And a lot of that, I think, is something that we've discussed where he's looking to bring in players to Duke who are not going to just strictly be one and done. Does that mean that he's going to stop recruiting one and dones completely? No. Sim simply put, no. But he is going to recruit more players who are two to four year players. And looking at looking at it from the NCAA tournament perspective, and that's ultimately where he's looking, he's saying this is where teams have had the most success and these are the teams that I want to build and basically turn Duke back into the program that a lot of people grew up on and grew up watching J.J. Redick play for four years, Sheldon Williams play for four years, John Shire himself, Lance Thomas, Brian Zubek all play for four years, and then, of course, supplement those teams with really good freshmen and things like that. So that might be a little bit of an aside, but just from hearing what you were saying about continuity and how that affects teams during the season and in the postseason – that's something that I thought was interesting to at least bring up. Yeah, I think too. Think about the one last thing. It's like that could mean whether people want to hear it or not that Duke might have some more years like this. Yes, and, and maybe and, you know maybe it ends up working out in the long run. You know, and I think if the right guys come back next year, I mean, if we can, and again, I don't want to go off track, but like if the guys like Mark and like Flip and like you know um, Proctor come back next year. I don't think next year will be one of the year, those years, but you know, a twenty twenty four. I mean, there's no freak. Gotta have prospect on these teams that Duke. They're going to be this year or, or next year, quite quite frankly. So, I mean, we'll see what happens, but I think it's definitely going to be a new look. And who knows what it's going what the end result is going to be? Maybe it's for the better, though, and especially in regards to like experience. Right. Exactly. And I think that from what we've seen is that the next sort of have to sign, have to get them on campus player is Cam Boozer and Cooper Flagg. And they're current are what they're currently sophomores, I believe, in high school. Yeah, twenty twenty five. That's the thing yeah. too, right? What if the collective bargaining rule changes and what if and they can go per, I mean it just there's a lot of things yeah. We don't really know, quite frankly, what it's going to be like by then. So it's, but you're right. Th that class is, is ridiculous. I mean, that's the class you want to go all, all in for. Right, and I think that, and this is purely speculation on my part, so this is not in the article, this is not in anything, but John Shire, I think, is looking to have a team that, by the time they get to that 2025 year, hopefully they can 
bring in Cam Boozer and maybe Caden Boozer as well, and then maybe Cooper Flag, like best case scenario, bring all of them in. Um, and not just have the entire team be them, but to supplement them, supplement their talent with other mature, experienced, and talented players who happen to be sophomores, juniors, or seniors. And I think that's where um, at least John sees the game going and at least hopes to get Duke back to that point. And I think that, uh, sort of bringing it back full circle, that there isn't that team really this year in college basketball, a team that has a lot of experience and good freshmen and are really dominating college basketball. That team just doesn't really exist right now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's very well said. I mean, there there might be a team that has one freshman or, or, you know, like a Houston or a Kansas that have some stud freshmen. But again, their team is predominantly a veteran-laden team with guys that have a lot of experience. Right. And it just it, – that's kind of what's – I mean, look at – if you literally get on the list and some of these teams in the top – really top ten, I and mean, half of them have – you know, starting multiple seniors, you know, and they might have some stuff pressure, but again, predominantly seniors. So I think that's a very well put together thought. I think this this year especially, that's why those teams are what they are is because, again, there's no over the, you know freshmen that are going to take you over the top that you know Duke has had in recent years. So with that being said, that's where Nick and I view this Duke team being currently and with all of that being said, we will now jump into our recap portion of the podcast. So we'll start off with the Syracuse game where Duke defeated Syracuse 77 to 55 at Syracuse. Nick, what were your thoughts on the game? I mean, that was that one stretch of before halftime, or a little before halftime, really, in that, the five-minute mark or so, was basically you know some of the best basketball Duke's played all year, quite frankly. I mean, uh, early on, it was kind of just back and forth, and then literally, I think it started you know around the seven-minute mark. It was just an avalanche. Before you know it, Duke's up you know 20 points. So I think they played really well in general. I mean, again, Syracuse is, is you know not a good team. You know, I think we, like let's, just, let's, let's call Spain a spade. They're not very right. good. Um, they've gotten blown out three games in a row. It's possible they might have just quit on Bayham altogether. But nonetheless, that was a game where I think, if you remember, I said, and I, I miss, you know, I was I was incorrect. So I thought the Duke could be around a four-point favorite. They were only a one-point favorite. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think that was a game that Duke played, you know, well with expectation. I mean, they, they were, I think they were supposed to win. They should have won, and they, and they did, you know, convincingly. So that was, that was a, a very good win altogether. Um, I think everyone, you know, started themselves well. I mean, Dariq was looking like, mm. you know, A.J. Griffin out there. Three. <laughs> um, and, you know, Flip and Roach were great. So I think Duke did what they had to. And, you know, maybe if that game takes place a month earlier, they might not They might not do that. Yeah. So it's definitely, grow, you know, growing up, um, I think it was a very impressive game. Absolutely. I think it was one of the first games in a while, maybe since that Georgia Tech game, where just everybody played well. And that I'm looking at this from the view of that Syracuse game, because as we know, as this sort of three-game stretch rolls along, everyone's been playing well over over these three games. So uh, this was probably the most complete game they played since Georgia Tech. The team hit uh, 54% or shot 54% from the field. They hit 13 threes, 50%. So they were 13 of 26 from three which, as we know, is just beyond crucial when you play against Syracuse's zone. And that was really, like, it got to the point where everything was falling. It w- it didn't matter who was putting up the shot. Everyone was playing with such confidence. And like you said, in that first half, especially Dariq Whitehead, uh, was extremely, extremely special in that game. And his ability to shoot the ball on spot-ups is, frankly, to me, incredible. And I say that because it's not something that he did a ton of in high school. He had the ball in his hands a lot, even though he was playing with Jalen hood Shafino at the time. He still had the ball in his hands a lot. And he wasn't a catch-and-shoot three player. That wasn't who he was in high school. That's not who anyone was really expecting him to be when he came to Duke. But now, with the injuries and him being out for so long and coming off the bench... He's found his role, and he has been incredible, and I think he deserves a ton of praise when it comes to his ability to 
shoot the ball and especially off catch and shoot on on catch and shoots I should say. And I thought from that game overall that Duke played really good defense. I mean, when you only give up 55 points in a game, you you did something right. But especially I thought they played good defense on Joe Girard. And it's a little bit interesting, right? Because you can look at the box score and you can say, right, but he had 20, he had what, 21 points, I think he had that game. And, but they limited him to only nine shots. And a lot of the game you could see that like Tyrese Proctor was on his tail the entire time and everyone was was switching and guarding him really closely and really limited him uh, to only those nine shot attempts. And I also thought that uh, aside from guarding Joe Girard, that Duke did a good job of defending everybody who wasn't named Judah Mintz or Joe Girard because those two combined for 39 of Syracuse's 55 points and Duke essentially took everybody else out of the game. And this is something that we'll see again when we talk about the Louisville game, is that they sort of said, okay, we know that Joe Girard is going to find a way to score. We know Judah Mintz is going to find a way to score. We are going to make sure, we're going to try as best as we can to stop them from scoring, but we're going to really make sure that they don't get any sort of uh, other contributions from anyone else. It sort of reminded me of when, I don't know if you'll remember this specific game because it's very, very random, but in 2015, Duke played Notre Dame, and Notre Dame decided, and and Coach Mike Bray decided to guard Jaleel Okafor one-on-one in the post. And he said, we're going to let Jaleel score, and Jaleel had like 30 or something like that in that game, and we're going to take away everybody else. And they wound up, Notre Dame wound up winning the game and shut everybody else out. That kind of seemed like this is what Duke was doing in this game, except obviously they were trying super hard to uh, prevent Joe Girard and Judah Mintz from scoring, as opposed to someone like Julie Locafor, who you at the time couldn't really stop from scoring. Uh, but Duke did a really good job of defending everyone who wasn't Judah Mintz or Joe Girard. I mean, I think, I mean, and that, that, that was just overall a pretty impressive game from, from Duke. And I don't care what the opponent, I think, again, like if that game was a month ago, they probably wouldn't have had that kind of performance. Yeah, I completely agree, especially from the shooting perspective. I think we can we can easily agree on that. So that, that will be our, this is sort of the way that we're going to do these recaps, nice and short, try to hit the main points, uh, because we do have a couple of games to go over and we do have a couple of previews. So now we'll talk about the Louisville game. So I'll start off and I'll say that um, I was worried when the game started because I did not think L. Ellis was going to miss uh, at all because he, he was not missing at all. And Duke started off extremely slow. It, they didn't matter who was guarding L. Ellis or what kind of shots he was taking they were going in. He was... He was terrific in in the beginning of the game. He was unbelievable. Uh, But then as the game progressed, Duke slowly turned it on and slowly took over the game and wound up with a a pretty comfortable 17-point win. And I thought, again, that Duke's defense was, was really good. And they gave up 62 points. And they guarded Louisville's secondary scorers the same way that they guarded Syracuse's secondary scores, where instead of it being Judah Mintz and Joe Girard, they were guarding L. Ellis and J.J. Trainer and making sure that nobody else on that team was scoring for, for Louisville. And when it comes down to it, it's really difficult for two players to win you a game. And I think we've realized that this year, especially with Duke. Um, they, that... If, you're, if there's a team that doesn't have, and I hate because I know we say this every podcast, but if you don't have Zion, you don't have RJ on the same team with Cam Reddish and Trey Jones, it's difficult to win a game where only two players are scoring 30 and 20. It's, it's extremely, extremely difficult. And I think Duke has realized that themselves offensively, and they've realized that defensively as well, that that Joe, if Joe Girard and Judah Mintz are going to try to win 
Syracuse the game, we'll take everyone else out of the game. L. Ellis and J.J. Trainer, they're going to score. We are going to make sure that they're taking the toughest shots possible. And also, we're going to take away everyone else's scoring. Um, and to talk about Duke scoring, everyone on the team, again, was great. Second game in a row. They were terrific. They scored. Everyone scored in double digits, and they were efficient to boot. They were led by Jeremy Roach, who had 14 points on the game, including six of nine from the field. Everyone was just was just great. They were all in that 10 to 14 point range. Derek Lively had 10 points. He added two blocks. Everyone was just really, really solid. And then even off the bench, Jacob Grandison hit three threes, and he hit some pretty important ones in the first half, if I if I remember correctly. Derek Whitehead had five off the bench. And what I think as well is is a theme that we started to see around this game and continued to see as they went into the Virginia Tech game is John Shire is starting to rely on his starters more. Tyrese Proctor played 35 minutes. Mark Mitchell, 32. Jeremy Roach, 30. Derek Lively played 25. Kyle Filipowski played 23. But he was in foul trouble for a bit. He wasn't he wasn't great overall for for a little bit. I think he actually no, I'm sorry. He only had one personal foul. I think it was more that he was struggling a little bit at first uh, in that game, but wound up being terrific with 13 points and and seven rebounds. And then Derek Whitehead played 27 minutes. So you're looking at the main six players that I think we thought going into the season were going to be the main contributors on this team all playing at least 23 minutes. So he's relying more on his starters, he's, uh, John Shire is. And I think that was one of, my, one of my key takeaways from this game is it's sort of marked this game and the Syracuse game, but especially this game, because this was the first game they only played three players off the bench. And that was Derek Whitehead, Ryan Young, and Jacob Grandison. Uh, nobody, nobody else even played, and they still won the game by 17, as I said before. Uh, where there's a condensed rotation of eight players, and there's a reliance on Duke's starting five. Nick, what were your thoughts on the game? Yeah, man, I think you hit uh, pretty you know, well in the head, and I think obviously you know, Ellis was hitting ridiculous shots in the first five <laughs> minutes. I mean, but yeah, I mean, again, Louisville is not a good team at all. Um, Duke handled business, um, you know, and again, I think. I don't. I mean, no, Louisville's pretty bad. So maybe I wouldn't say that. You know, a month ago they wouldn't have been. But again, I think Louisville's definitely better. Which doesn't say much. They're better than they were. You know, several weeks ago when they were getting blown up by thirty, or at least putting together some spirited efforts recently. So, I mean, it was again. It was good to build off of. It was off of a game against Syracuse. It was, you know, it was big Monday, so it was only two days off. They could have had a hangover in that game. They really didn't. They came ready to play. They took care of business. I think in general. So. Um, you know, I think Mark, again, was fantastic in that game as well. Yeah. Um, and like you said, very balanced in general. You know, again, when you make threes, you play a different off. I mean, this is a team that was not making threes for really duration, you know, majority of the, this of this season. Up until recently, they started to make some. I hope they can continue. But they're just a different team when, when you know, Prodder's making threes, Grandison's making threes, and everyone's contributing. So I think that's kind of the biggest thing is that they were able to you know, actually make shots. Granted, some of them, some of them might have been because Lowell was you know, leaving dudes wide open, but I think again, Duke handled their business, and you know that's something that that we love to see. Right, and I think to what you were saying early in the season, it didn't matter if Duke was wide open; the shots just weren't falling. I mean, Tyrese right. Proctor would be left wide open, and the shots weren't falling. Um, and to your point, Duke was nine of twenty-two from three in that game. That's forty, uh, about forty-one percent, and. Seven of those nine made threes were from Tyrese Proctor, who had four, and Jacob Grandison, who had three, and that's and that's what you come to expect, or at least you you hope for now. I would say, and this is just an aside, because I've thought about this for a while now, but I would love, and if someone can get me these numbers, if not, I'll go back and watch like every game and see what's going on. Um, I'd love to see Tyrese Proctor's three point numbers. On catch and shoot, on catch and shoot threes, 
versus off-the-dribble threes. Because I feel yeah. like every time that he is in a catch-and-shoot, he is draining that shot. And every time that he tries to go, uh, when his defender goes underneath the screen, and he's dribbling, and he pulls up, those are the ones that don't fall. But when it's in the flow of the offense, catch and shoot, he's knocking them down. And I think case in point, um, this can be our way of getting into the Virginia Tech game. There was that crazy play where uh, Jeremy Roach took a shot off the side of the backboard and kind of flung it back into uh, the center of the court. And there was Tyrese Proctor who just didn't think caught, shot it, drained the three sort of symbolize that game. Nick, go into more detail. Tell me about the Virginia Tech game. What did Duke do well? How did they win that game? So this game was, this game, and we're going to have to keep an eye on this here for the next week or so, but there was very little production from the bench and a lot of production from the from the starters. Yeah. And the minutes kind of, the minutes kind of backed that up. I mean, Roach, Proctor, Mark, all above 30 minutes. Lively, 24, flip, flip 23. Again, he was in foul trouble. Really both of them kind of were, but um, flip for the most part. Anyway, yeah. um, so there was that. And then, you know, off the bench, you know, Grandison, you know, so, I mean, we already know at this point, Duke is down to, it's an eight-man rotation, right? Blake is out of the rotation. Yep. Um, you know, and, and shoot, you know, he's not, I mean, that's that ship has sailed you know, for this year anyway. Yeah. But, um, so it's eight-man rotation, and they're playing their starters, minutes they should play him. I mean, let's be honest here. Ryan Young should not be playing more than 15 minutes a game. Ever. Agreed. I think he played 15 minutes on Saturday, and I think that's just fine. He was productive, 4-4. Four and four. Um, He didn't shoot the ball very well, actually, at all. But, you know, again, he, he's efficient for what he does. But, again, he's not a guy you can rely on to play 20-plus minutes. He's just not. Defensively, he's just not. And, you know, he, he brings him some good minutes off the bench. You know, Grandison, again, he has his moments. You know, he hit three, but that's about it. I mean, he doesn't really record any other stats besides, you know, you know, making threes, just jump shooting. So, um, again, both those guys are, are, are you know, senior leaders and have a senior presence that have played. I mean, I guess in Grandison's case, he's putting in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Ryan Young hasn't, but they've played in games, more games than anybody on this team, you know, combined. So, um, you know, that's going to be what leads into play. I mean, besides Whitehead, I don't think either Young or Grandison should play over 20 minutes ever. Yes. Um, you know, Whitehead only played 19. He wasn't making shots, but I think we already we know what he is. So this game was a turning point for me, I think, because the bench is shrunk, the minutes are starting to shrink, and as we get into March, it's going to be something to, to really watch. I will say one thing that is kind of concerning to me, and we're sure. going to see... I think Saturday especially is going to be a big test for this. Derek Lively's in foul trouble every single game. Mm. Every single game. Yeah. And not only is that an issue because he's, he, he can't play, but that means that Ryan Young has to play. Right. Or at least in, in Shire's mind because he wants to play two bigs. But that is concerning to me because what he – just him being there defensively is literally a nightmare for the other. I mean, it's, just, it's night and day. It really is. Him and, and Ryan Young defensively. You know, from, from help side defense, from people wanting to drive at the paint. So, I mean, I think that is something that we're going to have to watch, um, you know, especially in the March here, because Duke is a, their ceiling is just exponentially higher with Lively in the game versus versus Ryan Young. But, you know, again, Mark was awesome. Jeremy was awesome. You know, Tyrese, not only did he have that 1-3, but, you know, when he, you know, the, the pocket picking he did there too mm. was nice. So that was just a pretty good team effort. And again, uh, a team that you lost early in the year, you know, again, you had some time off, um, you know, did some big games on deck, and they did not at all look ahead to NC State or UNC. They were focused, and they start to finish were ready to play, which, again, hasn't been, hasn't been the case all year. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you said it extremely well that they were simply terrific. They were great that entire game. It was a pretty low-stress game from a fan perspective overall, that they were just really good. They played extremely well. They played really well defensively. I thought they guarded Hunter Couture extremely well, that he only took, I think, four shots in the entire game, um, and guarded Padula well uh, as well. And it was just, it was another game. It was the third straight game where uh, the starting five played extremely well. Everyone scored in double digits, and Jeremy Jeremy Roach led the team with 19, but he wasn't the only one. 
that there were there have been plenty of games this year where he where someone may have led the team like it may be flip led the team with 25 but then the next leading scorer had 12 uh this was just a game very evenly uh the offense was evenly distributed amongst everybody and i think they've really found that even though Derek lively is limited in what he can do offensively that getting him offense is really critical to the success of this team and because it can be easy offense just a yep. pick and roll and a lob or it doesn't even have to be a lob there was a play in the game where Basili didn't realize that he had slipped the screen instead of simply setting the screen and went to uh sort of attack Jeremy Roach I think it was uh he was the ball handler and all he had to do was a nice quick pass inside and an easy dunk for Lively it it the offense can sometimes be as simple as that, and I think that they're starting to realize that too, that they don't have to run these extravagant plays all the time, that sometimes a simple pick-and-roll or a pick-and-pop with either uh, Derek Lively or Kyle Filipowski can set up the offense extremely well and take advantage of maybe a switch maybe something like that, or maybe someone just simply being open. Um, other than that, I don't have too much to say on this game because I, I think we've both kind of said it all, that Duke was just awesome the entire game and really put together a terrific, terrific showing for um, for really the third straight game, which is really important for this team. Their fourth straight win, and they'll need it as they go into... Uh, their next game, which we'll start to preview now, which is against NC State. So, Nick, tell us. Talk to us about the previous game against NC State. What went wrong? What needs to be fixed? Is this the same Duke team that lost to NC State by 24? Um, well, what went, what went wrong? The answer is everything. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, as Shire said today, literally asked him uh, his press conference about what's changed between, you know, is this team different from from the team that, you know, played there on January 4th? And he literally said, they asked what's different, he literally said everything. I mean, think about it. I've watched Duke basketball for, since I've been, you know, however long that you can go back to actually remember, you know, as a kid. I don't think I've ever seen Duke not score for eight minutes at a basketball game. I, I, oh. I like, in, in, to start the game, I'll say. <laughs> I mean, I really don't think I could ever remember that ever happening on any team, with anybody. I mean, ever. So that getting nine fifteen nothing, I highly, I definitely would not advise doing that. But that game was <laughs> over almost before it started. I mean, it was, yeah. it was what twenty points? Twenty two. I mean, NC State was hitting threes um, in the first half. I mean, and again, NC State has some you know, absolutely fantastic. I mean, Jarkel Joyner and Tequavian Smith are mm. maybe the best backcourt in the league. I mean, I, yeah. obviously Miami has a good say too, but. I mean that, and even more, even more so. Um, but they are. I mean, they're dangerous. Obviously, they got blown out on Saturday to Clemson, which is kind of surprising at home. Mm-hmm. But I fully expect them to be ready. I mean, they're on the you know they're on like the ninth here. I mean, they need this game just as much as, as you know, Duke does. So that, you know, they're going to be desperate. But again, I think from, from Duke's standpoint. If, if Roach is going to play the way he did, the way he did in that game, then you know all bets are off because he was atrocious. But really, the backcourt in general—that was kind of the first game that highlighted Duke's massive turnover problems. I mean, thirty points off turnovers for NC State, twenty-one turnovers for Duke. Yep. NC State only had six turnovers, which is fine, but Duke had two points of turnovers. I mean, if you get outscored thirty to two in points of turnovers, you have, you have no chance of winning. No. None. So, again, taking care of the ball is is you know vital. DJ Burns yep. is just one of the most unique players in college. I mean, I don't understand how this man is doing what he does. I mean, he was averaging like six points a game really to start, and somehow, you know, this Goliath of a man has only gotten stronger and continues to score even more every single oh, game. Oh, yeah. And so, I, I mean, again, he's very efficient. You know, he's, he scores you know, right around the basket, I and mean, he has a nice little mid-range shot too, so – it's going to be a challenge, but again, this is a good opportunity for Duke to kind of see where they're at. It's the last game at home. 
They've been undefeated at home all year. You know, it, what would be a better way to start Shire's coaching career than finishing an entire season being unbeaten at home? So, big opportunity. I think, to answer the question, everything has changed for Duke. They're not the same team, and they need to put that on full display here um, tomorrow night. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, one of the things is that Duke has to make shots, and they simply didn't in the first game. When you shoot 39% from the field and 33% from three, you're not going to win most games. But they have been shooting the ball really well lately, so they need that to continue. And then I think you hit the nail on the head, is they have to find a way to guard Joyner, Smith, and DJ Burns. Who's going to guard Turquavion Smith? I think just based on size and uh, it seems at least recently what John Shire has been doing is putting Tyrese Proctor on the, on the opposing team's leading scorer who's a guard. So I think that'll be interesting to see. And then I guess you would put Roach on Joyner. And I think the main thing is when DJ Burns comes in the game, who who's going to guard him? Because... That's one way. we You talked about Derek Lively getting into foul trouble. And, I mean, DJ Burns would easily back down Derek, uh, Derek Lively. Easily. Yeah. And that could get him into foul trouble, could change the game there a little bit. Um, I think that'll be interesting to see what Duke does and how they go about um, defending DJ Burns, especially, really. I think that he's going to be the key to, to this game for Duke is defending DJ Burns. And I, and I understand saying that even knowing their backcourt, but I think that uh, Joyner and Terquavion Smith are so good that um, the difference can be someone like DJ Burns, where he can get into the post and either get Ryan Young in foul trouble, Derek Lively in foul trouble, um, would be a tough matchup for Flip. A really tough matchup for everyone, but I do still think that Duke's best chance to win this game and to defend Burns well would be to have Derek Lively guard him, and that's simply because Derek Lively's the one person who can alter his shot, who can change his shot and block his shot, really, and I think that obviously he's a different player than he was in, in, their, in Duke's, when Duke last played against NC State. And he is much more confident. He sort of understands um, how to defend a little bit more and how to defend at the college level, which is just huge for this Duke team and huge in general. But uh, with that being said, uh, he defended uh, against UNC. He defended unbelievably well against someone who um, was stronger and more um, more uh, post-driven than really anyone else that he had guarded before. So, uh, in Armando Baycott, sorry, his name just completely slipped my mind for a second. Um, but he showed that he could guard Armando Baycott. So now I think the next challenge is, can you guard DJ Burns and stay out of foul trouble? And then for Duke... Their starters need to continue to play like they have recently, with confidence and with everyone contributing. And if if they do that, then they'll have the ability to win this game and have the opportunity to be undefeated at home, as you said, for the entire season, which is just a tremendous, tremendous success, especially considering uh, where the struggles that this team had early in the season, that they were still able to find a way to win at home. Uh, this is a huge one. This is a huge one for NC State. It's a huge one for Duke, and it'll be... Uh, really interesting to watch uh, as we record this tomorrow, uh, as we're recording this on Monday. Um, it'll be interesting to watch and see how that all unfolds. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember the last team that was undefeated at home, but honestly... Um, I think it was the, uh, the team was, that lost to Mercer. <laughs> I was going to say, was it Jabari's team? Because that, honestly, is hilarious to, in some, to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that, it, that sounds right to me, too. Yeah, I, I think I'd seen someone say that it was it was that team, but obviously everything there is different. And and with all that being said, but um, that's our that's our preview for for NC State and for Duke's last home game, and then they finish off the season as they do every year, playing against UNC. This time they will be at the Dean Dome for Senior Night. 
Um, we won't go in depth on this because we did in one of our previous podcasts where we essentially went over all of the starters for UNC and all of the um, and all of their key contributors. So if you want, you can go back and listen to that. I won't. I would say that not much has changed really uh, since we last recorded that. So the one thing I will say, or one thing I will ask Nick here, is. What do you look for, or what adjustments do you look for going into this game compared to when Duke last played UNC? Well, I think in general, and I don't know if this is necessarily, it's not really an adjustment, but I think that game was like very weird at Duke. Oh, yeah. It's super low scoring. Neither team shot the ball very well at all. I mean, you figure both teams will shoot it better. I mean, I, I mean UNC, between the game tonight that's going on right now, that, that you know, have one of the backgrounds. I'm sure you do too. Yeah. Uh, along with the game they played against Virginia, I mean, they shot the ball way better from three than they have really all year, quite frankly. So that's the one thing. I mean, again, somebody that's really struggled for them and really struggled against Duke was you know Pete Nance. Um, I think they're going to really try to get them going. Starting to shoot the ball better now. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things. Um, you know, again, the other thing too is if you remember correctly, Hubert was complaining about there being no foul calls and, yep. and UNC not shooting any free throws. You best believe that the refs are going to be blowing the whistle at UNC this time, which again goes back to the point about lively and flipping foul trouble. So I think yep. again, they have to be smart defensively. I mean, we're in March. By the time that game happens, will be in March. I mean, it's been a long season. If you don't know how to say foul trouble, then I don't know what to tell you. I mean, again, so I think UNC is going to definitely try to drive the ball a lot. They're going to try to get Pete Nance going. Um, you know, we already know what Caleb loves history versus Duke, so. In general, I think from the Justin standpoint, I mean, really, Baycott that didn't you know, get a shot off the last eight minutes. That's going to definitely change. Yeah. Um, so I think from a lot of that changes. Excuse me, are going to be from the offensive side of the ball for UNC and really where they where they look to for scoring um, in general. But it's going to be you know, and again, this would not this would still pale in comparison. But wouldn't it be awesome if Duke could go in there and win and you know send UNC to really their fate of essentially missing the tournament. I mean, I, I think Ugh. they have a chance in AC tournament, don't get me wrong, but, that, but really to just put a knife, I mean, that would be fantastic. Ugh. Again, it's basically the same team, too. That would be very you know poetic. It would at least be somewhat of a, you know, someone you can find solace in the fact of, even, even though last year will still always be at our forefront of mind. Um, but that would be very awesome, and I think it would be really cool if that happened. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I have anything really to add to that, other than maybe, um, maybe we'll see some better offense than we did in that than that first yeah. matchup because both teams just really struggled and it was sort of one of those um, really tough, hard fought games between the two teams, like like it always is. Except this time, there or that time, I should say, they didn't really score all that much. But I, I think that's really all that we have for. For a preview of the UNC game, like I said, we went over that game in depth in one of our previous episodes. I think it might have been episode five for this season. Um, but uh, Nick, I think that's all that we have. Is there anything that you want to end on? Any notes that you want to bring up before we go? And uh, really, this will be our last regular season podcast. The next one will be previewing the ACC tournament. No, I think that's everything. I mean, there's a lot of big. I mean, so, I mean, pretty much every game for every team at this point in the top half of the, or even really top tenth of the ACC, every game left will have massive implications for the entire race as a whole. I mean, again, we know that if Duke wins tomorrow, they'll be locked into at least the five seed. Um, and you know, uh, ideally, you want to get in the top four to get that double buy, but we'll see where they stand, and we'll see, you know, what their fate is, um, you know, moving forward. But I think. I'm sure the plan for us here is to get back, um, you know, preview the ACC tournament, you know, next week, um, and then you know, kind of go from there. But you know, I'm sure we'll learn a lot here with these next two games. Yeah. So uh, with that being said, I think it's it's pretty uh, important for us to go over some uh, podcast notes, I guess you could say, when it comes to the tournament and or the uh, ACC tournament, as as that is. So. We will be doing a podcast, as I said, and as we both said, before the ACC tournament, uh, really to preview Duke's matchups and 
uh, sort of where it goes from there. But as we know, there's really quick turnarounds when it comes to the ACC tournament and even the NCAA tournament. So we will try our best to keep it in one to two game windows where hopefully they'll be uh, continuing on and moving on. But we'll try to do some recaps of the games and looking forward, maybe some instant reactions after games to see um, or to give everybody sort of our thoughts on the game and the upcoming game. And then it will sort of be the same schedule, except it's a little different for the NCAA tournament where we'll do one before the NCAA tournament and then from there, it really depends on how far Duke goes because the games are set up such that they'll either play Thursday and Saturday or Friday and Sunday. So we'll either be get, we'll be getting you an episode on that Monday either way, just hopefully with some Duke wins. So with all that being said, I want to thank Nick for being here today and for uh, being my co-host here and for providing some really great analysis. And I want to thank everybody again for listening, and we will catch you all next time.